Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Venture Property Podcast. And thank you very much for listening to the show. It means a great deal that you take so much time out of your day or whether you're on the way to work to actually, you know, plug the headphones in or plug this into the car and actually listen to, to me chatting to some really, really wicked people. I'm really humbled by that. Today, as always, we are sponsored by Land Insight, which is the ultimate tool for people to find all the deals which they need something which I use on an almost daily basis. I use it to find land, to work through comparables on similar property, to do my due diligence and everything basically I need. Now, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, why not? I mean, on this podcast, we talk to some incredible people and hopefully we share some really, really good bits. So if you have shared, if you've got, sorry, one good piece of information, then, you know, hit I wish, I really wish you could send to all on your phone still. I'd wish you could just load it up, send to all of your contacts, but you can. Do this on Facebook, do this on Instagram, do this on LinkedIn, or just give me a review on iTunes. So today, I have a really, really cool guest, um, one of the smoothest guys you will ever meet, and he's been a very, in a very privileged position. He's been able to sit in a room with a lot of developers and see firsthand, you know, what their challenges are, what their wins are, you know, who the kind of deals they're doing and the kind of people that they're working with. So it's my great pleasure to introduce Alex Harrington Griffin. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm doing fantastic, Ryan. Thank you very much for having me here. I always like your upbeat attitude as well. <laughs> I think we make get a choice of how we want to be and uh, you've got to make the right decision some morning, especially when sitting in Cheltenham, it is... Um, pretty grim outside so we're gonna make that choice i'm quite happy that it's rained though because i put some grass seed on the grass um, but that's another story so why don't you tell people if who if they don't know you a little bit about you your company and the whole sort of mission statement so from big scale down to fun detail i am an entrepreneur at heart i've had several businesses in the marketing and online space and moved followed the family footpath into property uh, about five years ago and started investing and getting into development projects. And I'm very luckily because my family were already you know, established, I got to jump into some development projects pretty quickly within that. And I learned quite a lot. I did a bit of a mature apprenticeship with a land and new homes company. And I just, I just listened and watched what was happening in the industry and, and very quickly noticed there were some common themes amongst the developers I was meeting, amongst the established firms, amongst the agents we were spending time with. And um, I wanted to find out if there was more people who felt the same way. So I copied a model that I had launched in South Africa about four years before that, and essentially invited a load of developers to come sit around a table behind closed doors and just have a bit of a chat. I'm sure, Ryan, you know that a lot of the industry is, is quite secretive and I was told when I got into it that people are very, very closed with discussing their challenges and opportunities and deals. There's always a famous story of Mr. Pidgeley stealing, swooping in on a deal that, he, that his son mentioned around a dinner table on a Sunday. And in fact, he told the story in January at our, at our dinner, which was uh, really nice to know that actually was true after all this time. Um, but I, I, I sort of begged to differ. I thought that you know, the, small, the SMEs that I was meeting were actually open to, to discussing things a bit more openly. So the developers boardroom two years ago was born and that's been where I spent a lot of my time for the last two years alongside doing some investing, uh, alongside launching the Trusted Land Platform, which is a procurement network for SME developers and investors. 
And yeah, just really finding out, getting to grips with what's actually happening, not necessarily what you always read in a press release or maybe what one mentor has, has necessarily guided you to, to believe. Mm, it's very interesting. And you are actually on this podcast for the second time. Thank you very much. Has that happened before or is this a, is this a monumentous moment? Well, the, who is, you are in good company because we have John Corey and also the legendary Nick Carlisle, two-time. Both player. very strong characters. I feel, I feel privileged. Thank you very much, Ryan. It's not very. just because we talk about grass seed offline. <laughs> you wish we can do though we can I do i hate gardening i only have to i've i only do it because sarah makes me give me uh give me a time and a place and i'll bring my my uh my tools up love it fantastic you are doing that then so you've so the de- developers boardroom really like the concept i really agree with the concept as well you know getting people around a table um keeping it to the people in the room, you know, as we were chatting offline before we started recording that, you know, it's, it's in that room, nothing goes further than that. So how many hours have you rocked up then with developers in front of you talking about all different kinds of things around development? I tallied it up just before January, before we did our, our dinner. It was 120 hours. Sorry, it was 105 hours at that point. So it's now at around 125. And that's been normally about 12 to 15 developers and investors around the table. So um, we do have professionals that join, join into the discussion as well, but it's mainly uh, aimed at developers and investors. And that's the people who sort of, I suppose, deliver a lot of uh, questions and challenges to the room, which all of us try and get involved in answering. But it is a, it's a really, you know, you'll have some of this with, with what you do, but it's just very interesting to be able to get such a, a vast array of perspectives behind closed doors where people talk a little bit more openly about what's actually going on and, and to kind of find out what you're alone in and also what you're not alone in, which brings new opportunities. Now, most of the time, it, once you've sort of worked through something, it brings opportunities up because you find out where other people are spending time or other things that people are coming up against that may be a bit of a, a preemptive heads up for you or for a little bit of um, preemptive on, on where certain opportunities may be coming up. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, sometimes you get so stuck into your deal or one little challenge of your project um, that you you actually can sometimes miss another part of the, of the project, whether that's further on or a different angle that you may not have looked at. And to be able to have a group of people who are also in the same boat as you, being able to to explore that. Uh, I think that's really key. Um, and I, they must get so much value from it. You know what it's like. It's a bit of a lonely game sometimes because you're, you're meant to be the developer investor who is supposed to know everything, especially the SMEs and especially the small developers are, are normally, you know, nothing more than a three or four man team. And I think that surprises some industries because of the value of what we create or we get involved in is so great or what we spend in some some circumstances but i think that surprises people but ultimately it means it can be a you know you're not a traditional startup or small business that has dozens of full-time people around you that you know whether or not they're your friends or just simply employees but it's still interaction and and help with the decision making but often these small teams you know one or two man bands sometimes it's a good environment for them to come in and, and talk about things so it is yeah it is a chance for people to open up and talk a little bit more once they get comfortable, once they see that every, other people there are comfortable as well, to really sort of say, does anyone else struggle with this? And 
I suppose the things that I've, I've noticed and the reason I think it's picked up traction over the last two years is because there's a lot of great groups and networks out there. There's people who, who play in the sort of the, the established SME space like ourselves. There's people who offer great, you know, courses and networking opportunities people who want to get into it or in different parts of property but there's nothing quite that allows you to sit down and really be a bit open about what's actually going on for you and get several other people who are also in the same position also established to give their perspective or advice on that situation which is quite unique and i think you know normally you have to go pay a lot of money to get that sort of perspective on things mm. yeah a lot of money usually and, and i like that so what sort of now, you must have seen over the sort of 125 hours, you must have seen some common themes um, coming up and it'd be really, really good to to sort of talk about them because the whole podcast has, has changed and we now talk about, we talk about deals and we talk about investment. And I think you, you were very good to come on and um, you've sort of had that at top level and seen not just sort of one deal, there's multiple deals so, and multiple investors, multiple developers. So it'd be great to see the sort of common themes between people's deals. Mm. I think I can probably put people's, few people's mind uh, at rest who are listening to this in terms of maybe realizing they're not also not alone in these, these situations. And, um, the common themes that, that come up, I suppose, wouldn't surprise people on some levels. You and I have both taken part in, in panel discussions and live events that have talked about the planning system. We, we've tried to move away from that as much as possible because there's just so little we can actually do about it. The, the general consensus, and I've, I'm glad to see that even when I was a developer or pure play developer, that I was thinking that you know we have to work with them. They've got a mission to do. They've got a job to do. We've got to do our job. Working against them is not going to to really get us where we need to get to it may get you a couple of wins but i think ultimately the more you can understand the planning system and what the planners need to achieve the more humble more willing they'll be to kind of try and help you out there's still bureaucracy and it's still flawed in many many ways but we've sort of moved on from planning being the big discussion because you know there's so much we, we can't control and we can only do the best within our ability with the situation we're working in the things we do have control over which have come up as common themes quite a lot is our strategy, our own personal profile and, and company profile, and how we use that to open up opportunities and to work within our strategy. And also in terms of the, the kind of attention we pay to the products that we create, the, the, the end result of our hard working projects. And, and those are the kind of things that I think people have realized that we can talk about more openly because we have control over it and we can get a bit of information one day in the boardroom that tomorrow or that afternoon you can go and leave and, and take action with and that's the kind of the fun bit because we're not just sitting having a, you know a, a granny's get together we're actually talking about things that can result in you going back to your business partners or going back to your investors and going do you know what i've realized this may be a bit of an opportunity or i understand this is something that's emerging as a trend and we always bring in a we always bring in a, a guest speaker as well so we had savils in january we had Allsop coming in February. We've got the GLA um, and LNQ coming in in May. We always bring in brands that can kind of give us a little bit of an expert's view on it as well. But things like strategy and brand, especially now, those are the things that I think people are really realizing that they can adjust to suit what is happening in the marketplace. And there's no disguise that, you know, it's very interesting times, especially I'd say in, in Greater London and Southeast, where a lot of our attendees are you know occupying and um operate 
So realizing they can use their brand to open up certain opportunities within new strategies is a big, big thing we've noticed. And we've seen people investing more and more in, in trying to you know, speak at events and to appear on fantastic podcasts and to host their own events to make sure that they can, they can at least build a bit of a profile in a certain area so they can be involved in conversations that may be going on around, you know, what is the next commercial conversions? What is the next, what is the next uh, planning sort of speedway to get through the planning system? What is the next big trend around funding that I could jump around and, and jump onto that, that is not sort of a, a fly by night, but it's maybe an opportunity where, where you know, people with money and, and equity are willing to, to put funds and crowdfunding has grown massively in the last few years, but I still feel there's another sort of trend emerging, whether it's certain processes or ways of doing that. And ultimately, what we've seen with people like Nicole Bremner, who's taken part in, who supports us in Developers Boardroom, have used crowdfunding. And I know John Corey's a big fan of it. Um, profile and strategy is, is links together a lot. And I think we have a lot of discussions around what different people in the room are doing as a result of the profile they've built up and also the strategies they're trying to unlock. So whether it's getting deals to come to them, we spend so much time as developers and investors going to hunt the deals. And yeah, it's, it's part of the fun. I know you you mentioned it in your in your interview with John Corey. You know, we're, we're deal traders, we're hunters, we, we look for things. Mm. But it is nice when things come to you. And a lot of that is based on having a strategy which you can communicate and having a profile which ultimately people can recognize that is what you do. And this is why you're the person to go to. So those are kind of some of the common themes. And I'll tell you one other thing that's come up. People's hesitation about following a certain new strategy until they see other people put their hands up and go, oh yeah, I'm also going for that. Yeah. And I think us are, are probably guilty to some degree of hearing about a new strategy, hearing about the latest trend in what people are doing in terms of buying sites and, and maybe waiting to hear, have one of the big names started doing it has someone i know giving me the social proof to go and explore it and it's funny when we have a really kind of intense high energy session and somebody starts the session by saying has anyone tried you know uh doing community events to engage the community before you go in for a large planning application and then people see people scribbling down notes and by the end of it they're running up to the person who's, who's done it once and go i've been thinking about doing this but I wanted to hear someone else's perspective on, on happening first. And I think that's, that's interesting. New ideas, new strategies, new concepts come up all the time. But all of us want a little bit of social proof, a little bit of support to say, is somebody I know also doing this before I go and, and commit to it? That's always been an interesting common theme. I like that. I like the community one. That's really good. And I, I think that's that's great and it ties very nicely in with the profile um you you spoke about profile a, a little bit there and i know that um you know my internet marketing days i'm always on the other side of the property business that's not mm. property that's the betfair stuff i'm always trying to create evergreen content and content the for those of you who don't know what evergreen content is it's literally content that is evergreen it is always valuable it is always worth something it's always got a value to it and that content stays out there forever and people still come back to it um and it's one of the reasons why i've changed the the podcast because i wanted it to be more slightly evergreen and more educational on what went right on people's projects and what went wrong um and i think 
one of the great things about this podcast is I, I never know who listens to it until someone tells me. So I'm in yeah. the gym and somebody tells me and it's just content that is created. And I know it's, it's, it's basically building the, building the profile and becoming a key person of influence. Um, and I know that that is something very close to, to what you guys are creating um, potentially. Is it, we well, we're very lucky to have um, one certain KPI involved in the in the business, and that's Nicole Bremner. The other one, who is uh, I suppose the the forefather of, of KPI as a concept, is obviously Daniel Priestley. And Daniel Priestley is also um, Nicole and I, and, and a number of other people we know are all graduates of the, his KPI Key Person Influence Program. Um, and Daniel has since become involved in Developers Boardroom because I think we've all seen how much. With, with with social media, with digital media, with content, as you talk about, no matter whether we want to be a public person or not, I'm, I'm quite a private person, but I also yeah. know where I enjoy sharing some of the experiences and things that you know, we are, are doing and also trying to bring more people into it. The most satisfying thing or, or aspect of running developer boardroom and trusted land is when people actually start working together. And we've got a lot of our members who are now starting to work together in, in JVs and and um, you know, instructing the professionals who who involved in both platforms. But that sort of thing is the reason why we do it. But I like to share those kind of stories and try and pick out learnings from there. And also, we've got so much experience in the room that, yes, we have a private conversation behind closed doors amongst 16, you know, established entities. But we try and sort of pick out the learnings in that. And having conversations with people like yourself here is a great way to share that because ultimately, property is a, is a space that really has so much potential to be more respected, more trusted, more appreciated from the general public who are not involved in it. But every single day we'll step foot in dozens of buildings that are built and owned by property developers and investors. And that's the part that was the biggest disconnect for me getting into the industry is why don't people have more appreciation or why don't you know why is there so much dislike or distrust towards the industry? And I like sharing the the more transparent part of it. And you know that comes in parts of teachings and building profile. And I think profile helps to take away a little bit of the, especially when people are authentic, you know, you talk about authenticity, but it's, it's certainly something that, you know, it's not just a, a catchy phrase. When people are authentic and then people can see their real selves and they also show their vulnerable side, like they do when they're sitting with, you know, within developers boardroom, you get to understand and work with people, the real people, not just a, a profile who they want to be or who they think they should be putting out there. So KPI and Daniel and Nicole, all are very good at helping people to build their, you know, their authentic self and, and communicate that. But I think that's why we're seeing so many deals now getting done because they're spending time with real people in a room mm. who are ultimately getting stuff done and they're getting to know who is the real people, who are the real people behind these brands. And that's ultimately what is connecting with landowners. It's what's connecting with agents. It's what's connecting with the traditional, more traditional developers and investors and this new wave of, you know, I still maybe can put myself in this category you and I both appeared on a, a young a young developers panel um but you know that's that's sort of the bridge between them and I think that being a KPI and building your brand as an individual is not about being you know famous or being sort of a, a celebrity within your area it's simply about allowing people who ultimately are going to be working with you bringing you opportunities trusting you in these big transaction deals to understand who is the real person behind the brand of a company. And that's why I think KPI has become 
the concept of KPI has become so big is it's not about being the only person of influence, just being a key person who people feel like they know and they can understand and relate to and ultimately want to work with, which is why we're all sort of here for the business side. I think that's a perfect way of, of of summing that up as well. And you know, profile. If people feel like they know you, and then you know, landowners, they've they've seen some of your stuff, or they've read your blogs, or or whatever, or investors, and then they actually meet you, and you are very similar to that person. The trust is quite easy to establish, and it can it can speed up that relationship, uh, but it can also bring some fantastic opportunities. And uh, I think that that's that's the way it should be and i think it's you know social media has its flaws but one of the good things about it and the good things about the web right now is that it gives the good guys a platform to be able to to share that message and and share those values and uh, i think that's something that that should be championed what- can i just say one thing Brian, of why i think this is here to stay is that people people know so even with the, with our sort of our first model of trust land, which I'm not, I've never sort of hidden away, had, had pivoted halfway through, but our focus was on landowners first and foremost. And although we still do a bit of work with landowners, um, the focus more is on connecting the, the professionals within that two projects that are going on within our network. But the landowners that we were speaking to were finding us through through googling us, and that means that the and often, you know, it's no disguise that average development landowner is often more mature. You know, our profiles were often 55 plus. To know that, you know, my father at 71 is is Googling which developer he wants to work with or after he's met them, having a look at them, I think it shows a commitment to those kind of people that they're here to stay, that they're not hiding behind an SPV. They're not hiding behind a turning up at your door, knocking on the door and saying, we're going to buy your, your property with an option. I think those days and also the trust is not there to allow that to happen you know, for the next five, 10 years. People putting themselves out there and showing their commitment to the industry, to their brand, to the product they're building, to the people who buy their products, to their funders, to their investors, to their banks, whatever it is, shows that they are in this for the long run, which ultimately means they're trying to build a reputation. And hopefully that gives confidence to both professionals and partners they're working with, as well as the owners and agents that are not working with someone who's fly by night, who's in there just to to steal the best deal. And you and I have spoken about this before, and I think that's a, an era that's slowly coming to a close. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm glad you jumped in there, actually. And I thought that was, um, there was some, some real value there. And I think um, if you just literally skip back a minute and just listen back to that, I think you'll get a lot from that. What, um, what are the changes then that you've seen over time? Because I know Developers Ballroom has been going going on a while now and there's been some um there's been some difficulties in the market caused by a few things so um be interested to know sort of the changes you've seen you know months and months and months ago up until up until recently so sort of what things are happening now or that aren't happening every session we have so we now have three running every month each attendee will introduce themselves their name their name, their company, and a win. We find this is a good way not to sort of get into pitching. We're not about, it's not a sales environment. Um, and people know why we're there. People are there to learn and, and network. So we focus on a win. And the wins that we had 12 to say, 12 to eight months ago were much more, even 12 to six months ago, 
were starting to become a lot more about personal wins or I, I've hired this person or I've I've separated from this JV partner, which is, you know, it's it's kind of the, the warts and all. It's not always just wins. It's about small things you have to do that are uncomfortable in, in, in this business as well, mm. um, as well as the, the cool stuff. And I just, we just started to notice that very quickly, you know, oh, I got an offer, I got an offer through accepted or I've just landed this deal or I've just put this, you know, I've just got this deal funded. That wasn't starting to happen, you know, so frequently. And, and I think that's a sentiment that was in the room and people started, to feel like, wow, okay, this really is not just a phase. This is not just a, a media, um, you know, fear-mongering session. There is actually less deals out there and a lot less deals that stack up that are out there. Fast forward six months ago, and maybe that was uh, someone calling you for a deal, yeah. but that is six months ago, you know, we actually started to see those pick up again. And now from, the, from January, February, the great news is, is that the number of people when we go around the room who have confirmed their deal has been funded, confirmed their deal has their deal has gone through, that they found they've got five offers out there, three of which got accepted, they've just sold a site. That can only mean that, you know, as Paul Higgs says, a good mutual friend, everything starts with land, and the land owners are starting to become more realistic about what is reasonable prices and also to become more realistic in their terms so that developers can actually start moving again and, and getting houses built, which is great. And it actually happened sooner than I would have expected mm. from, the, from the, sort of the lack of wins that related to people getting sites over the line and funded uh, 12 months ago to what is happening now. It is a big change. And that's, and that's very positive. That's, I think it makes people feel good about being in the space. And, you know, we all need a bit of, uh, Geeing up sometimes when we're not finding stuff that, that works and yeah it's it that's the really positive change we've seen over the last 12 months is people in the last quarter getting things that stack up and getting things moving and people instructing professionals again and going for you know planning their exit routes or planning their products and planning their staging all the kind of fun things that people get to do when they've got actual security on a deal so that's been the biggest change what i would say though in terms of the types of deals Distress is sometimes a bit of a crude word, but highly motivated sales are making up a big bulk of where those deals are coming from. And that's something that we've spent all of this month, in fact, in the three sessions talking about is distressed sellers. It doesn't mean you jump on and you know, take the deal for 50p in the pound. There may be an opportunity to do that, but it is working out that someone is in a distressed situation. They need to move on either through something directly related to the land or it's something to their personal circumstances. And we have seen more and more people who are moving on buying assets or land or even finish, you know, new build apartments from people who need to move on from them. And there is a general motivation there. And that often will mean I need to, uh, I need to reduce my expectations or, or lower my expectations and move on maybe without the, the profit I would normally expect. And, and that's been a big part of the, um, the deals we've seen getting done as well. Mm, fantastic it's really great to to hear that you know to hear that people are getting deals across the line and deals are coming coming forward now and um, it's you know it's been a been a tough old game the old property thing over the last um the last few months and, and thinking on that as well one of the one of the things i really like to hear about uh, and then also speak to other developers about um, and this is going to be the next question to you is what are the challenges then that you have uh, have seen in the room? Um, obviously, you don't need to to go into full details of you know 
in-depth detail but to give us some of the ideas of the challenges and maybe how some people have sort of overcome them that'd be i think that'd be really good three things i did make a note when you asked when you sort of uh, mentioned we talked about this earlier but i'd actually just thought of a third thing which actually is is links back to our previous chat it's it's banks so what are banks willing to do and what are they willing to back and, and what are their appetite what's their appetite the exit which is obviously huge for all of us for the investors for the banks for us in terms of why we're doing this and i think um credibility and, and, and advice has become a big thing that's i think one of the biggest challenges of people stepping into new areas stepping into certain uncertain times again people like paul higgs talks very openly about you know the mar- the market carrying certain people and we've all we've all seen that I've, I've benefited from it you know i've got out of not got out of a situation I've, I've done really well out of the market carrying me um but yeah the market you know from 2014 to 2016 17 was was really strong you know it was, it was making people very positive and not forcing people to spend so much time looking at the numbers and, and thinking about their funding options and you know, getting rid of these units at the end of the day, they'll just build something, they'll stick a micro apartment in there and somebody will buy it and be good, be great. The, the the exit, the funding, and I suppose the the confidence of what to do next has kind of been some of the biggest challenges that have come up. So, you know, where is where is their funding going to come from? Who's going to put the money forward? There is a huge amount of money out there at the moment, but everyone is forcing those investors and developers to to scrutinize their their figures. In, mm. in more detail and that's good that's a great thing but it's also what not what some people including myself are that au fait with whereas yeah. previously you could down one scenario and say this is my comps this is my this is why i'm gonna exit this is why i'm gonna exit and this is what it's gonna look like and they go yeah okay all right now i can see things are flying so great i think people now from the discussion we've picked up and you know i don't i don't work with these developers one-on-one but i, I pick up from the group consensus they're having to spend a lot more time showing why they're confident that this is one scenario, this is another scenario, this is maybe a worst case scenario, and if all three of these happen and I need another exit, this is where my exit is. And almost to build more of the story about where this is going to go, why this is the right product for now, not just chucking out the thing because I've done micro apartments before and so it's micro apartments again, or there's four, you know, four bedroom houses on the street, so I'm going to do more four bedroom houses. People have become much more involved in the whole kind of marketing story, going to banks and, and funders, and also paying attention to their exit, which is is great. I think the people who are really doing well now are becoming even more sophisticated in their approach, and and knowing why they're building a certain product in a certain area, and, and also maybe paying a little bit more attention to not just a vanilla product. I don't know what you get to see in, in Lincoln or what a lot of people you spend time with with build out, but. We had Dominic Grace, from the head of um, London Resi from, from Savills, come in in January, and he spoke at our, our previous September event. And he talks about punk developers. And I, I really enjoy that because Dominic's a, a very charismatic fellow, but you really get it when he talks about it, that he wants to see as an agent more punk developers who are willing to, not, you know, they don't want to <laughs> put out a, a trashy crap product. It's about putting out something that's got a bit of star and a bit of differential and having the, bre- the, sort of the guts to create something that is different. And now people are not just be able to chuck out of another vanilla, you know, type one space and, and get it sold. People are having to think about how can I make this different? How can I add a bit of character to it? Which, you know, I don't know, I can quote 
dozens of people who talk about that from from you know veterans in the industry but really that is the part the thing that will differentiate you from the long term but also give your end buyer something they really really enjoy and that makes you stand out and build your profile because you've got something interesting to show and talk about mm. um and the third thing i mentioned was the advice that is i've seen a big change in people building up advisors and trying to put together a bit of a board to give them advice and it, you know, it's valuable in any business it's valuable in any industry but i think people sort of felt confident they didn't really need it beforehand or they you know they had a mentor maybe they had someone within their network they spoke to or picked up the phone to but we've seen a couple of the the top performers in developers boardroom um what we sort of refer to as our, our legacy builders start to put together boards of of credible people who can kind of take away the emotional side of it and say to them this is this is a, a great location it's a great product but your numbers don't quite stack or or you know yes you could sell in you know, half of these or you could rent half of these but do you really think you can get 25 away in these in this current climate or until the regeneration happens or until the, the new crossrail station opens up or you know hs1 or whatever it is hmm. they are very very important i've noticed more and more people use or, or lean to their or their advisors and mentors to get advice and be willing to take it. And I think that is, that's only going to make stronger, you know, businesses in the long run. Mm, I, uh, I like that. I like the, the having a, a different style development. Have you seen, I don't know if you've been watching or anyone listening has been watching, but um, Grand Designs have got a different series on at the minute where a council down south bought an old MOD base and they have basically done a self-build on it. So I think there's going to be a, over 100 houses on it, but they're only filming the first 10. Um, the council have put the road in. The council have put the utilities in. And they have basically relaxed all planning laws and you've just gone for it. And just seeing some of the shots and seeing these people design what they want to design and seeing the street come together, it's amazing and it's so far away from the whole let's basically get our piece of paper with our land red line on let's grab the monopoly houses and just chuck them on and however they fall that's how we build them uh, it's incredible yeah. to see. and that's what that's what we can be agile you know as smes as small developers investors we can be agile about what we produce and Mm. Now you've got to think about your exit. You've got to make sure you stand out in that, you know, there's a lot of stock around, um, you know, new build stock. And if you want to keep that margin, you don't want to have to give it away in a, in a slightly distressed scenario or, or just trying to you know, get rid of it quickly. You've got to have something different. And I know there's people like um, Caroline Adam-Sheik, who's, who's spending time with a lot of our developers. I think she's working with eight of our developers at the moment. And they're all working with it because she is very good at, giving that final picture of what it's going to look like and why it's going to be different. Yeah. And that almost makes your investors more excited because they think, okay, right, I've seen that sort of type A, type B from the biggest house builders. But if something's going to go, if someone's got money, if it's whether it's helped to buy or a more sort of um, established you know, family, I can see why they pick this out because it would draw my attention. And that's what, that's why I think she's been successful in, in developers boardroom because she's helped to kind of paint that final picture and, and help developers be brave because she brings some research to the table as well. Um, that's that, and it's cool to see. It's cool to see that people are are looking at ways of being different and offering the consumer, the buyer, something that is original or has a bit of character or has a bit of pizzazz. You know, something that makes it stand out. Yeah, and it's definitely going to stand out. I mean, how many people 
couples or whatever people single people or people looking for a house scrolling through right move same 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 whoa look at that one have you seen this one geez that looks a bit good uh and then and then a viewing gets booked and then etc etc and it it looks good so the what does the future look like then well, if I, uh, I did actually buy my father-in-law a crystal ball over Christmas, which was interesting. He's a psychiatrist and uh, always wanted a crystal ball because it's uh, part of the placebo effect. Anyway, I digress. But yes, <laughs> my, my crystal ball is not so crystal. It's more um, stacks of papers with notes from, from sitting in uh, two years' worth of developers' boardroom. And we have to actually had our two-year anniversary. In fact, we're celebrating it on the 2nd of May at a little bit of a, a gathering amongst uh, our members and wider community. But the... What that's kind of taught me, and the reason we've we've actually put together an event on the 22nd of May called the conference, which is kind of a collection of all these futuristic ideas. It does go back to some of the common themes that come up, but it is. I don't want to talk about the next 12 months because I think that's all we can all we can consider. But what I think is also exciting about the next 12 months is that it's going to be a lot of opportunities that will not be around in two years' time. Um, the conference has been set up to be a sort of hyper, we're using the term hyper relevant, but it's, it's what's happening actually right now. The delay in Brexit will, I'm very, very confident, create a lot of uneasiness amongst people who need to move on. And I think that only spells opportunities for investors and developers. And you know, we've been trained since the, the training wheels went on in, in various networking groups and workshops that you know, BMV is a great thing. And, and you do, you make your money when you buy in, in a lot of these spaces. Mm. But everyone from Arnold Schwarzenegger to uh, to Ryan Carruthers to talk about you know, making money <laughs> when you buy. So uh, I put you in the same bracket there. Thank you. Um, and, you know, and that and that is you know you buy good deals when people may have a little bit of motivation to to release those. And I think that's going to happen a lot over the 12, 18 months. Just before we we did this podcast, I was on the phone to one of our speakers, who's the head of the Receivership Association. They are busier than ever. They are busier than ever because people are in a few scenarios where either their loan to values are coming to question or their CVAs on the high street or there's certain you know, international backers that are pulling out of deals or, or people not taking up commercial space that is making some people uneasy. Those people are normally involved in a deal that was being secured maybe two, three years ago when times were slightly more positive. Yep. Those recently spell opportunity for someone. And Tony Pidgeley said it at the, the dinner in January. At times like this, legends are made because where some people are retreating, you have an opportunity, providing you structure yourself in the right way, you have the right backers, you, you, you present yourself in the right way and, and you know what to look for. There are, you know, I think we, we know this during a recession, there's more millionaires made than any other time. I think that's also the same for property. I think if you know where to look and if you know where to look out for and, and see what industries are, Feeling the squeeze of Brexit, feeling the squeeze of being delayed in, in terms of our decision making, um, that are, are also essentially you know, potentially going to lose out. The indecision can create opportunities. And that's why I think the future focus has got to be for the next at least 12 months looking at those distress scenarios, looking at industries, businesses that, you know, everything from the automotive space to, to car sale showrooms to MOT garages to storage facilities to certain types of, of drinking entertainment, to the, the sectors that are going to feel the squeeze in terms of labor disappearing or, or, or sort of, you know, filtering out. I think if people can be switched on to where those, those scenarios will create deal opportunities, I think they'll do very, very well. 
and I think that the majority of people in the in the developers board and we've seen are the ones who have been you know consistent in what they're doing. They haven't sort of dramatically changed their strategy, but have just sort of adjusted it to be in the conversations where someone will say, Do you know what, this person now needs to move on, or they've had a deal tied up two years ago and it's not gone through, it was a previous option agreement, or they're they're working with uh, these kind of commercial owners, site owners who you know, their business is going to be, they're going to be consolidating or they're going to be moving to one head office. Those are the people I feel that are getting the most opportunities at the moment for positioning themselves amongst conversations where things will change over the next 12 months. And there will be a lot of change. It's interesting, isn't it? The, that how, how all of this is, is going to change and, and, and what we do going forward. Uh, I think it's going to be some very exciting times and some very, Going back to that, there's going to be some legends made, and be really, really looking forward to hearing what strategies people use and some of those stories. I can give you a little bit of a hint at some of the things, and this is not a promo. You know, we want to talk about the what is actually happening, but the reason we put together the conference is to highlight and go into detail on, on how people can use some of these strategies, and I can. People can't attend if it's not their kind of event, um, if they're unavailable on the 22nd of May. I think we can always do our bit to try and share some of those, those things. And one of the content, one of the items we're looking at is, is not only distressed sellers and people who need to move on and, and receivership scenarios, but it's also looking at what is out there on the market. And I think one of the things that I've noticed along with some of the speakers involved is that sites that have come to the market with planning have often or in many cases, and I don't want to generalize, I'm just speaking about some of the scenarios that I've seen, have been guided or led by sometimes the owners of the site because they've been frustrated by um, the, the offers they were receiving, maybe in 2017. Maybe they were offered something really juicy in 2016 or something that was way too high. They didn't do the deal. They met the second or third person. Their offers were realistic, but it wasn't. They couldn't get that sort of you know, two million pound number out of their minds. And we actually saw some of our landowners as well for trusted land. Some owners were going, do you know what? I think we're going to go for planning ourselves and just we'll know what the end value is. And that's interesting because I don't believe, and this is a sweeping statement, but I don't believe that landowners are capable of getting the best value out of a site. And that is because developers, that's what they do. That's their, that's their job. That is what you know, the experienced veterans will, will be really, really great at. It's finding all the value possible. And one of, the, one of the subjects we're going to focus on is looking at existing sites that are on the market, which is a bit of a dirty word sometimes, but actually looking at where they, those planning uh, applications and schemes can be revised to create greater value because the owners haven't set the most sort of value-led brief. They've, the people working with them have sometimes just wanted to get the fees and get it through planning to, to, you know, to get it through the system and get a positive result, and they haven't squeezed it as much you know, as it could be. And that's what developers are there for. That's where... That's where you become a good developer, is squeezing and creating and identifying value. So that's one of the areas we're going to focus on and might be something that your listeners can think about in their own time is, is you know, maybe a lot of the sites on the market at the moment that have now come back around that have maybe been owner-led or, or led by less experienced developers may have a lot of uplift that are still hidden within them. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got past one of those just, gosh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, there's a, a site on online it was not from a commercial agent um mm. the vendor knew the agent they'd sold some of their residential portfolio 
um, and they just happened to buy this um, this bungalow that had a two acre garden, uh, which comes okay. straight off a, straight off a main road. So you know, right away you're going okay, great, and um, the pre app information was available upon request. It wasn't public knowledge they wasn't just sticking it on the ad on right move so i spoke to the agent and said you know what is the what is the pre-app advice two acres of land right pre-app for six chalet bungalows that's a very that's a very uh safe safe bet i mean (laughs) a very safe bet I mean, the street scene may always determine that and, and what's been granted locally, but that sounds very, very safe. I had one better. I had a four-unit un- four scheme in 23 acres. Oh, my gosh. It was, there was some nice land around that you wouldn't want to touch, but it was they were, they were about 12 units short of the, the true value on that site. Yeah. I, it, but it just highlights the fact that, I mean, and you know, we, we've just touched upon it that a lot of the times people go for the safe planning to get planning to, to give, you know, a bit more credibility to their land and think that, Oh yes, it's going to be worth a lot more now. And they'll sit on the market potentially for a while. So it's a good, good opportunity for, for people to, uh, to maximize size. Alex, I am going to let you go because I know you're a very, very busy man. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. If people want to get in touch with you, if they want to hear more about uh, the developer's boardroom or, you know, the the, uh, the day you're planning, where is the best place for them to, to do that? I'm very, very proud to announce that we have a flashy new website that's just been created and uh, launched last week alongside our, the opening of our ticket reservations. So, we, um, I'd imagine tickets are selling fast, but people can reserve tickets for the conference and all the other events on developersboardroom.co.uk. So that's developersboardroom.co.uk. I am on Twitter and LinkedIn. I do, uh, I do like a twit and uh, a twat every now and then, as some of the, the older generation refer to it. But yeah, I'm, I'm quite big on my on my social media and just sharing what's going on as well. But um, no, I listen. I love connecting with people in a physical space. I love we do sort of um, have a little bit of a criteria of, of people who are being active in development to come along to developers' boardroom to make sure they can add to the conversation. But we love meeting people there. Um, we're certainly not a closed group. We want to include as many you know, good people as possible. We just want to work with people who are uh, willing to commit themselves to the industry and, and build up the reputation that we all know it has. Fantastic. And once again, Alex, thank you for coming on. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Really appreciate it. Oh, 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 oh,